thing. I know I struggle with it a lot. And so we love fast food because it tastes good. It's instant gratification. We're hungry now. It makes us feel better right now. Um, but does it actually serve us well? We, we, you know, we talked about last week. We all know it doesn't. We all know there's long-term consequences to uh, filling your body with terrible foods. Um, but it's not just what we eat. We tend to live life the same way, sort of running to things that are superficial and healthy because they taste good. They make us feel good now. But the problem is that kind of diet usually makes things worse in the long run. And that's why I think this is a good analogy, the whole fast food thing. Uh, not that it's bad to ever eat fast food, but if that's what we're consuming constantly, there's going to be consequences. And, you know, also a life dedicated to following Jesus. It can't be built on the fast food model because Jesus said he came to give us life to the fullest, to restore our humanity. And that has to look like something more than the sort of superficial brokenness that we tend to gravitate towards. Uh-oh. No, money. Sorry. Um, Jesus said that he demands that from us that we trust him enough. Like, you know, kind of talked about last week, a parent who forces their kid to eat healthy. Is, is, is what he's offering us true? That's a big, a big question for us. Do we trust God to say, God, how do you want me to live? How should I approach life? And he says very clearly the fast food model is not it. So we kicked off our series last week talking about this idea of just happy meals and um, kind of the lie that true joy and meaning can be found in these sort of temporary pleasures. And if you're here, we looked at Solomon and his journey in the book of Ecclesiastic of just taking, just throwing caution to the wind and just getting as much of everything that felt good as he could towards the end of his life. You know, he saw every momentary pleasure. Uh, we looked at it kind of like most Americans, you know, more money, bigger house, more stuff, toys, entertainment, occupy your mind, anything that makes you feel good now, um, even 800 wives. And you know, we convince ourselves we'll be happier if we could just get more. But it's all just junk food. And we saw Solomon that his life was like, this is meaningless. He basically said, I hated life. I was so miserable. And we compared it, if you were here, to the Apostle Paul, who had so much going for him as a young man, but then he encountered Jesus, and he gave it all away. And he made this statement in Philippians that, I consider it all garbage. Basically just, he calls it rubbish. It's fast food junk compared to knowing Jesus. And in that moment, he found what true joy and content was. And then we just challenged ourselves last week, are we looking for joy? Are we looking for meaning in just these temporary fast food kind of stuff? Are we finding it in seeking Jesus in his presence and what he has for us? This morning, I want to continue by discussing another area in life where we tend to gravitate, gravitate, gravitate towards the superficial. And I just need to be honest. And I, <laughs> sometimes I'm too honest, but I... I've said this before, and I, I say it before because I really do mean it. One of the hardest things for me as a preacher, whatever you want to call me, the thing that I struggle with the most is when I'm asked to teach on a subject or a topic that I'm terrible at. It's like, I just think, I'm like, I look at the time, I'm like, can't you get someone better than me to talk about that? It's like, oh, here you go. So this morning, I want to I wanna just sort of set the record straight before I even start. When I'm writing and saying the stuff I'm saying this morning, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, you didn't do this, because I'm saying this is my journey. Like, more than any other week on this series, this is really my journey, um, what I've been working through. Because I think if our search for joy 
turns into let's go get McDonald's. I think our search for community and real relationships becomes like a drive-through window sometimes. Quick, easy, no mess. Um, but where does it lead us? And I know in my life, I've often made relationships like a drive-through window. And uh, I've just been praying that God would change that in me over the last few years. And so I just want to talk about this morning, and uh, just bear with me. Let's just pray and ask God to speak to us before we do. Lord, we want everything that you have for us. I know you didn't create us broken. That was never your intention. You didn't create us to feel pain and hurt and wounds. You love us, and your intention was always good. I just pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to the things that we are purposefully ruining ourselves in, God. I pray that you would show us the long-term consequences of the things that just aren't healthy, even though they feel good. I pray that you'd help us put in the work to be the people you've called us to be. I just pray you'd speak this morning and uh, just really bring change to our hearts as your words do. I pray this in your name. All right, so it's pretty safe to say I love drive-through windows. Um, you know, convenient. I don't have to actually talk to anybody. Uh, I just sort of grab my food and go. I, I don't have to pay someone 20% of the bill because they brought it to me. It's just I love drive-throughs. Um, I guess I'm cheap too. I don't know. Um, but the thing is, for myself and a lot of us, I think drive-throughs have become a representation of how we live our lives with each other. A lifestyle that defines our community. Quick, easy, we don't really have to get to know anybody. We don't have to actually invest. We just sort of pull up, roll down the window. And it makes sense, you know, getting to know people and really investing and really having authentic relationships requires being transparent and real. And that's uncomfortable. It's hard work. It's effort. But, you know, it's like I actually have to park the car and get out and go in. I'm like, oh, it'd be easier to stay out here. And we risk so much when we're authentic and transparent with each other. If I am willing to be honest with you about who I am and where I'm at, you now have a power over me that scares me. You have the power to take my transparency and wound me deeply. And I guarantee that every single person in this room has felt that. And it's a power that we don't want to give up. It's like, I'm not going to give you the chance to hurt me. I'm going to keep my window like halfway, grab my food and go. Or worse, you know, we also risk hurting others when we build, build relationships. Because now that I'm investing in you, you're opening up to me, and now I'm like, what if they find out I'm not perfect? <laughs> what if I hurt them? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'll just stay in the car. It's like we, we find ourselves, this, this ability to wound and hurt each other tends to scare us. You know, maybe we're better off just sort of zooming in, rolling down the windows just far enough on Sunday mornings to say hi. Don't worry, brother. Thank you. I'll have two of those. <laughs> you know, and then move on. No one gets hurt. We all sort of leave happy, living safely behind our comfortable walls of our Honda CRVs. It's just an easier life. We don't have to worry about hurting each other or getting hurt. But I'm constantly challenged to ask myself if that is how God created me to live my life. We look at the entire history of the people of God and constantly we're seeing community relationships. It's clear from Scripture that you and I were not created to live life in a drive through lane, but to have real, authentic friendships and community with each other, with God. You know, we look at Acts 
uh, chapter 2 talks about this first church. And it says, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they met together in the temple courts, broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There's this community of people who are just in it together. And it's like, is that what my life is like? I mean, if you inserted, like, believers with television, I think that would be... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like my couch. I don't know. Um, sometimes I wrestle that so much. Like, am I am I living that way? Are we living that way? That we really have this kind of community? There's no hiding behind shallow walls in this. They're meeting together. They're sharing life. So why don't we? You know, why do we choose our superficial walls over real community? And if it's okay, I, I just I don't know. Here, whatever. Um, I can tell you why I do. I really can. And it's not because I'm an introvert. There's a lot of introverts. That's not an issue. Um, growing up, there were certain things that I was just naturally good at. Uh, I, I, school was always easy for me. Um, sports, just something I was good at. Um, but as far as like relationships and friendships, I, I just always had a hard time with it. And it wasn't... The, the ironic thing about me, which was so hard sometimes, is that... I wasn't one of these people who didn't know how to talk to people. I wasn't like the shy kid who just like didn't. I was actually like class president my senior year and I was president of my fraternity. The thing was, it was a lie. Because what I had figured out is using just sort of reason, I had figured out that like acceptance, fitting in, um, it was a game. It was, it was all a, a, a stunt you could put on. It was so easy for me to pretend I was something and just say the right things and make the right jokes and talk to the right people at the right moments and you were cool and you were popular. Um, it was like fitting in and being accepted was like a safe and I was like a safe cracker. I knew I could figure it out. Um, and I'm sure people looked at me and they said, there's a guy who's got it together. He's cool, he's popular, he has all these friends. But the reality is what was inside of me was not that. <laughs> um, it was quite a bit different. What was inside of me was actually a lonely, insecure kid who didn't feel like he had any friends and it was just all fake. It was all superficial. All my friends were superficial in high school. Um, I didn't really trust anybody. <laughs> like Every time I talked to people, it was like, dude, did you see the game? You know? Every time I, I hung out with people, it was like, oh, let's go see a movie, or like, it was just, everything was superficial. We never really talked about anything. That sounds like high school, but it also kind of sounds like church. Um, <laughs> um, I found it impossible to make real friends, I think, because, one, I moved around a lot when I was younger, and I just, I don't know, I... I struggled feeling like we were to be there. I never want to give people that power over me to really know me. Um, I felt if they just thought I was this cool guy, Mr. Popular, and didn't really know who I was, I sort of had the power, and they couldn't hurt me or whatever. Um, but I didn't really like myself very much. Now, when I got saved and I gave my life to Jesus, when I was about 20, 21, a lot of things changed, especially behavior, choices, decisions I was making. Um, you know, kind of gave up the partying lifestyle and started just seeking God. A lot of that changed, but the one thing that didn't change um, was friendships and relationships. All that really changed was now I felt guilty inside because, like, man, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be, like, a better friend and stuff. But I was still just, like, I'd go to church and I would, like, put on the, the worship thing and be like, oh, Pete, everybody knows Pete. And then I'd go home and I, like, was by myself. 
And I, I was fine with that. I was fine just being, I don't need relationships. I'm fine with myself. And then, you know, trying to become a pastor and thinking about that. A lot of times I was just like, I can't be a pastor. <laughs> I've talked about it before. Uh, when it came to people, I, I was sort of zooming through the drive through window. Um, I have most of my life, honestly. I mean, <laughs> I'm just being honest. It's kind of my personality. It's what I tend to gravitate towards. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, see you later. And then, I don't know. But a change had to come in me. I, it had to. And I think some of you sitting here maybe feel the same way, maybe different reasons, but God did not create me for fake, superficial stuff. <laughs> he didn't create this community so we could come in on Sunday morning and smile and be like, yeah, everything's great, thanks, see you later. <laughs> and then, you know, that's it. I mean, is that, that's not community. That's just, this might as well be a movie theater. What, is that what we are? Or are we a community? You know, no one's an island. And I don't think that we can live out what God has for us if we don't learn how to have healthy relationships. If we don't say to ourselves, it's got to go deeper. And it took some real digging in my heart over the last 10 years. Coming to some conclusions, conclusions about why um, I struggle with this so much. Um, the reality is, like every person in this room, we've all been wounded. You know, we've all put ourselves out there and gotten hurt. Uh, maybe we handle it differently, I don't know. Um, we've all found ourselves expecting a trusted friend to be trustworthy, right? Uh, many of you had to deal with the feeling of a parent or someone, a spouse or someone that you're supposed to love and they're supposed to take care of you and they wound you and it's like, and, and how do you respond? And, you know, I, growing up, I've had countless pastors and leaders hurt and wound me. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to cry. Here. It's just reality as I look past. The funny thing is, one of the greatest wounds I have ever had, <laughs> when I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, all right? I don't even know how old I was in fifth grade. I just remember it was fifth grade. I can remember, I had a friend, his name was Gary, and Gary was the coolest kid in school. And I had just spent two years homeschooling and then went to a year of private Christian school, and I was not cool. And Gary, you know, he decided to let me hang out with him. Um, I sort of like followed him, I don't know. But I remember the day when he thought it would be funny to tell the whole school uh, something that I had confided him about that was embarrassing. And I remember going to school the next day, and like just, I don't know, was I 11, 12? I don't even know how old that was. I just remember walking in the classroom and everyone looking at me and starting to laugh. And fifth grade, like fifth grade, I was a fifth grader. It's been 20 years. Why do I still remember that? The reality is 20 years later, I still have this defense thing that, that, that comes up when I talk to guys. Like I really don't make friends well with guys. I've always struggled with that. And it's like 20 years a fifth grader who <laughs> picked on you. It's seriously that deep in my brain. And I've had to fight it and overcome it. And I wonder if, if a little wound from fifth grade can impact me this much. Some of us sitting out there, man, I can't even imagine how you think and feel from some of the wounds you carry. I'm not alone. We all have those stories. And mine is a silly thing from middle school. Some of you, like real, like harsh realities even later in your life. People let us down, they wound us, they leave a mark on our souls, and we just can't seem to erase it. Um, or maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, like, I have wounded other people. <laughs> it makes you want to say, like, I just better stay away. I've shown people how imperfect I am, and it's just caused problems. I'm better off putting up a front. 
And here's what happens. This is kind of where I wanted to go this morning as I was thinking about our relationships. I think the wounds that people give us cause us to build walls for our protection. We, we, we sort of put them up, you know. Uh, we, we, we create these things around us to hide our weaknesses, to hide our faults, to keep people from hurting us. And I know walls. I understand them. They're comfortable. They're safe. They say no one's gonna, no one's gonna mess with me. No one's ever gonna make me feel stupid again. No one's ever gonna put me in that position again. No one's ever gonna see who I really am again. That wasn't worth it. We just surround ourselves. And it may be a superficial way to live, but I'll never have to hurt or feel like a hypocrite if I just sort of roll down the window, grab my food, and go. I remember, you know, just kind of bringing into context. When, when that whole terrorist thing happened 10 years ago, it was amazing, like, just the level of fear and insecurity, and, uh, like, everyone was, like, freaking out, you know, and we all wanted to, like, be safe and protect ourselves, and that's what happens. When we get hurt, when we get wounded, when, when bad things happen, we just, this natural instinct is to protect, to protect, to put up walls to guard ourselves, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And then if we actually step back and look at it, it's like, well, who am I actually being real with? And if I'm not, why am I not? What am I hiding? What am I trying to protect myself? Because there's a problem with walls, and the history nerd is going to come out here, but you know, throughout time, we've been, men, women have been at war, fighting over everything you can think of. Um, and up until the last few hundred years, war has always been fought the same way, with sharp objects sticking each other. Um, and so, sometime a few thousand years ago, some people decided that a good way to stop from other people poking them with sharp objects would be to, you know, put up a wall of some kind. They would seek out high ground, use mountains, cliffs, whatever. Until one day, I don't know, some tribal group a thousand years ago said, what if we actually built something that would protect us? So people started living together in communities and they put up a wall, like villages like this one. Here's an old drawing of an Indian village. They put up stakes, the stars. Um, and then he started saying, well, let's expand. Let's put a wall around our whole city. Here's one in Greece. The entire city has a wall around it. And heck, why not put a fence around your entire country like China did in 400 BC? Um, keep out invaders, right? No big deal. It only took 300,000 men 200 years to finish. But hey, they're protected now. They have a wall. It's guarding them. Then this idea of the stronghold or the castle where a building would be built for the sole purpose of protection. When people came to hurt you, you'd run inside. This is a picture of um, what would look like a middle age castle where people would run to for safety. Nice, big, safe, strong walls. Entire towns and villages would uh, spring up around it. And then when invaders came, anyone that might hurt them, anyone that might threaten them, they'd run inside the walls and be safe. There's a problem with this, though, and, and I think it relates to us. These mighty, sort of impregnable fortresses that no one could ever conquer didn't always work out the way they wanted them to. Because if you were an invading army, you're coming to conquer the land or whatever, everyone runs into this castle. They hide behind their wall, like, oh, you can't get us, we're safe. There was actually a pretty simple solution. Wait. <laughs> so the armies would just surround the castle and they would just wait. They would just sit there and let the people be safe inside their wall. What was interesting, though, if you study history or have any know, just think about it. At first, hiding behind the wall was wonderful. They were safe. The armies couldn't get them. It's like, ah, oh, forget you guys. You, know, you can't touch us. But pretty soon, the walls that you ran to for protection became something darker. As the invading army would sit outside and wait, the people inside 
would start to run out of food. It'd start to run out of water. People would die, and the dead bodies would just be start to pile up. Disease, infections would start to grow. As people got desperate, they would do desperate things. They would start to eat whatever they could, even each other. And these walls that started off with safety and comfort become a trap, prison, misery. And I wonder if it's possible, guys, if we would actually stop and think about it. Is this actually the reality of our emotional walls? We experience hurt and pain and sense expectation of more to come. We feel the only way to survive is to, to just build a wall around myself. I'm just not going to let people in. I'll just, I'll just say hi, I do, and smile and walk by. I won't be real with people because I'll protect myself. You find a nice mask and wear it. You're thinking, you know, no one's going to know who I am. I'll be safe. I'll be fine. No one can hurt me. But what's the consequence? Have you actually locked yourself inside of a prison? And are we finding ourselves actually not safe, but just empty and lonely and trying to figure out why we don't feel good about life? We drive in, roll down the window, just long enough to shake a few hands, smile, and tell everyone, yeah, you're good, thanks. And that's the most we'll let out on our wall. We climb back inside of it, and it's like, wait, what am I getting out of being inside of this wall? What am I really getting out of it? Is the cost of my safety worth the fact that I, I'm lonely and nobody knows me and I don't feel connected to anybody? That's not what God intended for us. Ever. It's not what he ever intended for us. I mean, he created all of us for all of us, right? Uh, he didn't create us to sort of cower away and fear to make everything fake and superficial, gloss everything over, just to keep ourselves safe. He didn't create us that way. In the book of Colossians, it talks about our relationships, and this challenges me a lot. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. <laughs> like, no matter what people do, bear with each other. Stick, stay with it. Don't cower behind your wall. Forgive grievances you may have. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in unity, perfect unity. Like, that's God's desire for us as a family. Not that you hurt me, I said, screw you, never me. It's like, forgive, love, bear with each other. This looks so much different than I often live my life, especially when I was younger. God commands us to love, forgive, to let go, not to just put a fake smile on our face. And I, I wonder sometimes, just when I look at myself, I, I just, how am I doing with that? Because my natural tendency is to want to climb back into my wall, and then I get depressed, and oh, my life sucks. Oh, I did this to myself. <laughs> God said, come out, love people, forgive, let things go, take a risk, take a chance. Yeah, you might get hurt. It's going to happen. It's happened before. It'll happen again. But I'm not going to spend my life based on what I might do to get hurt. You know, I think it's interesting as I think about the whole 9-11 thing. I remember one of the things that everyone kept saying was, after it happened, it was like, we're not going to let the terrorists, you know, win by making us change our lives. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and show them they can't stop us. Remember that attitude we all had? Um, do we live that way emotionally inside? 
Here's Satan trying to destroy us, sending all these attacks against us. Oh, have this person say this word to them and have this happen so they get hurt and wounded. Are we stepping up and saying, you're not going to affect how I live my life? Or are we saying, oh, it hurts too much, I've got to protect myself. <laughs> I'm not going to fly over ever again. How, how are we responding? I know far too often I respond as, oh, I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> Especially when I was younger, in the last 10 years or so, God has just said, Pete, it's not what I called you to. Live the way I've called you to live. Stuff's going to happen. You move on. Don't let that define you. So what are you hiding behind this morning? I don't know. <laughs> it's a time to start living in the freedom Jesus has for us, regardless of the risk, regardless of what might have happened in the past. It's a time to start accepting and loving each other, actually being honest with each other where we're at. And maybe like a good parent forcing their kid to eat vegetables would say, God, what do you have for me? Even though I might not like it, it feels better to be safe, but I think you're calling me to something else. I'm willing to do it. Um, I guess a couple of questions I would end this morning as the band comes back up. Are there areas of your heart that God is saying, oh, we need to heal that. We need to work on that. Or you're just saying, it's just too much pain for me to let this go. God wants to bring healing. I would challenge us this morning to just let the Holy Spirit speak to us and begin that healing process. I know it sounds stupid, and I, I try to make a joke. I was possibly a little fifth-grade kid, whatever. But that was a real wound that God had to heal. I remember when I was about 26, I was in a prayer room, and God said, you've never let me heal that. And until you let me heal that, you're never going to trust people. Um, he wants to. We have to let him. I think the second question is, are there areas you can start to develop better friendships, better relationships? In your bulletin this week, there's this little pink piece of paper. Um, and, you know, Zumba. Yeah, Bella Rose Zumba. The other side. Um, we have all these life groups and just a lot of groups of people that meet together and try to do life together. I know a lot of the women here in this group are part of a really strong group. And um, there's a lot of them out there. Maybe you can even say, let's start a new one. I, I don't know. Like, there's other ways you can get involved and start to actually see and connect with people more than just walking in the door, driving through, driving out and sitting. I would challenge us this morning, just are we willing to take that step? Are we willing to risk it? Are we willing to let God heal us and step out and build relationships with people, be a family and not just a service? Uh, let's stand together and pray. Father, this morning we, uh, I know I don't do a good job, Lord, sometimes. I tend to hide behind the walls, God. Just speak your freedom in our lives. Everything that keeps us from being real, everything that keeps us from being transparent, everything that keeps us from wanting to drive through rather than a cup of coffee with a friend, I just pray those things would come down. Father, I pray for those of us in this room this morning who are carrying wounds, for those that we've trusted and have hurt us. God, I pray for your spirit to come. You said that you came to mend the brokenhearted. That was, that was one of your missions when you came to this earth. And so we ask you this morning to come and do that. To begin to heal and bind up those things which cause us to run in pain. That we would be healthy and enjoy life and live it to the fullest and make the most of everything you've created for us. We love you, God. We just ask this in your name. We worship you because you're